day today, all that we do today, that we would remember that in thankfulness to you, you have entrusted each of us with a ministry, and part of that ministry today is being a blessing in the life of one another. So I pray, Lord, that as the Spirit ministers the word to us, that we would use the things that you're doing in our life to encourage those to the side of us, behind us and in front of us. So we thank you, Lord, for the sweetness that it is to be a part of the family of Almighty God that's going to last forever. We bless your name in Jesus' name. Amen. When Old Paz started years ago in 03, um, you know, it was just one of those things, what do you do? First church service, what do you teach? And in 2003, August 3rd, 2003, I uh, told the first service people, turn to the Gospel of John. And I haven't taught the book of John since, and that's where we're going to be today. So we're going to be in John's Gospel, if you want to turn there. A lot of people claim this gospel is their favorite out of the four. It really has a unique way that it views Jesus' ministry that seems to be a little bit of its own testimony compared to the other three gospels that are very similar in nature. But Matthew being primarily written to the Jewish audience... Mark to the Romans, and Luke to the Greeks. John kind of writes from a bird's eye view to everybody. Viewing Jesus Christ, his claims, who he says he is, and also observing the way that Jesus Christ, as the Word, lived it out. And I think there's going to be some emphasis on that today as we get into the first chapter. But if I could summarize the purpose of this gospel. The purpose of this gospel, we'll see when we go through the book and we get to chapter 20. Hopefully we won't be here and Jesus can teach us the rest of the book. I sign up for that. Where's the button? I'd hit it. But these things are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Huge emphasis on the Gospel of John is belief. Ninety-two times believe. 247 times, a name above all names, Jesus is mentioned. And I think in saying that, that's why we can find so much life and light in this gospel. Because of its central focus, Jesus Christ. I mean, what else is there to learn about, right? The author we know is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the one who authored the Bible. We can read about that in Peter's epistle. We know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That literally means it's God-breathed. The very way that we see God breathing into Adam in the book of Genesis and Adam became a living being is the same way that God uses his word to put it into us to give us spiritual life, eternal life, and abundant life. But the human author that the Holy Spirit chose to use is this John the Apostle, not to be confused with John the Baptist, who we will see. 
but John the Apostle, brother James, fishermen together, dad's successful business, had subcontractors named Peter and Andrew working for them. Their dad's name was Zebedee, probably doing pretty well in life, probably thinking we've got it all set, going to inherit the family business, going to make a good living for ourselves, and la, 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 life goes on, gets interrupted on the beach by the Sea of Galilee, gets an invitation to come and to follow Jesus and to become a fisher of men. They take the invitation, probably not even knowing at that time exactly what they were doing, but they chose to follow Jesus. And because they made that choice to follow Jesus Christ, they impacted the lives of a multitude as Christ worked through them. And we get to reap the fruits of that today with this gospel. You have no idea that if you will respond to the things that Jesus Christ is asking you, the ripple effect of how it can help bring life into other people. They're great examples. Follow me. And they follow him. Here's the thing about John, okay? He didn't just write this book. He also wrote the epistles of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He also, as an old man, got sentenced to the Rock Isle of Patmos, and maybe running through his mind, I wonder what I'm doing here. Why doesn't God just take me home? I'm inferring that. I don't know if he actually thought that. Scripture doesn't say, but I'm thinking about the way I think. But God had him there for a purpose. And the purpose that he was there for is that at that point, God gave him the book of Revelation, a book of hope for the believer. We see that there's going to be a dynamic change in this man's life and the Holy Spirit's the one who brings change into our life because the nickname that Jesus gave him and his brother were you guys son of Bonjeris or sons of thunder when they said, hey Lord, this, this village doesn't want us here. Do you want us to call down fire and smoke them? John thought he had some gift to be able to drop nukes from heaven upon cities that weren't open to Jesus. Jesus told him, you know not what spirit you're of. Definitely wasn't the Holy Spirit. But we're going to see a change in his life. We're going to see a great change in his life. This guy is known as the apostle of love. In my own study, one time when I was going through the gospel of John myself, maybe sharing a little bit here at the church. I look at this guy and, and, and I look at his claim of himself. And if you know anything about John or if you've studied his gospel at all, he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And at first you might think, wow, that's a little arrogant. I don't think it was arrogant at all. I, thought it, I think it is confident. Because John probably knew in midst of all of his shortcomings, in midst of all of his failures, in midst of all the mistakes that he made, that the love of Jesus Christ abided consistent in his life. And he knew that he was loved no matter what. It's good to know that we're loved through our failures, through our shortcomings, through our mistakes. One of the things that I saw about that 
Koinen himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved, is it's mentioned five times. Now, the word that he uses in the Greek for the disciple who Jesus loved, love, that word love in the Greek is agapeo. It's a form of the highest love. It's God's love. And when I was looking at that, just to do a concordance study through my Strong's Concordance and looking it up in my Greek dictionary, and, and, and I see out of those five times that he uses that word agape of four. And then one time he uses a lesser form of love, phileo, once. So as I'm looking into that, I'm like, I wonder why he didn't abide consistent with the depth of that love that he had experienced, what lessened it? And the thing that lessened it for him was the four times he used the word agapeo, the supreme love of God in his life were the four times that he was in the presence of Jesus. The other time he wasn't. And the moment you start to get out of the presence of Jesus Christ, you have a less understanding of the depth of his love for you and I. It's so important, church. It's so important that we allow this to be the conduit of our relationship. And we experience the living Lord there. And we take in his love, like Jude said, that we would keep self in the love of God. And it's that place of security, like John had, because he's in glory today. It's the place of security that John had that Jude would later go on to write on the other side of that. He will keep you from falling. Love is a great security for the believer. So we're going to see in this gospel that he's going to focus on the identity of Jesus in ways that other gospel writers didn't. Okay, He's going to introduce him in the different things that Jesus said about himself, being the way, the truth, the life, the door, the good shepherd, the light of the world, all these things that we're going to see John introduce himself, the proclamations that Christ made about himself. But the beauty is, is he's going to focus on the identity of Jesus so that we can know him better, so that we can see him bigger. And we need to take these things in because the problem today in the church is we allow our problems to get bigger than our Savior. And the Bible shows us how enormous and almighty our Savior is so it shrinks our problems. Chapter 1. I was going to start in chapter 21 and read the book backwards, but I thought we'd start in 1. I was just seeing if you're awake. In the beginning. Now right away our minds go back to Genesis 1. In the beginning God said, God made the heavens and the earth. But we go back to Genesis 1.1 because we're finite beings that live in this limited dimension called time. John's going beyond that. John's going back into what we would call eternity past. That's where John's going. 
That's the beginning that he's talking about. That the word was already there in the beginning. And the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. One of the things that we need to recognize about God is, and we're going to see that this word that we're focused on, this form of who God is, is actually the Son, Jesus Christ. And we're going back to eternity past. Listen to what the psalmist says. Psalm 90 verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, or even you formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Thou art God. In the Hebrew, it literally means from vanishing point to vanishing point. I was sitting with my boys the other day doing some devotions, and, and, and one of my sons was just saying, you know, it's amazing because everything in our life, we're so familiar with it having an end, but not with God. And in the beginning, you go all the way back that we serve a God that had no beginning and has no ending. And you're sitting here thinking, I don't get it. That's because you can't. You can't get it, man. We're finite beings, which means we're very limited. And, and we're trying to understand this infinite God who, who is limitless. But John is trying to give us in human words, on paper to the best of our ability to understand, and it must be understood by faith, who God is. And his existence has always been and always will be. Yours hasn't. I was born in 19-something. <laughs> but my future is heading to the vanishing point. It just keeps going as far as you can see and beyond. The ages and the ages and the ages to come. That's what we have ahead of us, but this is what God had behind us. And for you who are sitting here today, no matter what you're feeling like or how you've been treated in the past, I want you to think about this, okay? If you know Jesus Christ, that, that maybe you've been rejected by a spouse or, or maybe family members or displaced or whatever might happen, but Ephesians tells us that he chose us in him before the foundation of this world that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. So when were you chosen? You were chosen before God said, let there be light. Because you existed in the mind of God. Prior to all of this, prior to Adam, Noah, prior to Abraham, prior to Jacob and Joseph and the people that we just studied in, in Genesis, that the very person of who you are and the value that you hold existed in the mind of Almighty God way back before this globe came into existence. Get your mind around that. I can't. So John is setting out to declare this word to us. It was the word. So the word here is, is the word logos. And it literally speaks of spoken intelligence. Okay? So this is like the mind of God, his thought processes, manifesting themselves, we're going to see, in the person of his son, and then actually giving us these words on paper that you and I have today 
so that we would be able to have the mind of God, the mind of Christ, as we allow the word of God to renew our minds and to transform our minds. So we see that the word was with God, but this is also it. The word was God, equality of essence. One of the things that we need to understand is that we serve a triune God. And what that means is the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not the Father. But the Father is God. The Son is God. And the Holy Spirit is God. That's the God that we serve. One God showing themselves in these three persons. So what will happen is you will have these individuals that come knocking on your door and and they want to hand you their pamphlets called Awake or Watchtower. And when you get talking to them, they want to explain to you that Jesus Christ is not God, that he's actually a creation of the Father. Now, as we look at this, I want you to skip ahead, okay? It says, and the word was with God and the word was God, okay? So we've established that. The word was God. If you jump down to verse 14, I just want you to see this so we're staying in harmony. The word, this word proclaimed from eternity past, that was with God and was God, was made flesh, put on human skin, and dwelt or literally tabernacled amongst us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we know who that is. Anybody got a guess? Okay, Jesus, I'll tell you. All right? But these individuals are going to come to your door, and I just want you to be prepared because they have their own translation of the Bible. And their translation of the Bible is spiritual decon. It's poisonous. And you know this about decon. If you know anything about decon, I mean, it's decon season right now. Try to get decon. The shelves are empty. Right? The mice are running, the rats are running, everything else. Decon is 99 point something healthy animal food. But it's that point zero something that has enough poison in it to destroy and to kill any rodent that might come into your house. That's the way the New World Translation of the Jehovah Witnesses is. A lot of it might line up with our King James Bible, but they take interpretations like this and their, quote, Greek scholars will change John chapter 1, verse 1 to the word was with God and the word was a God. So they totally take deity away from it. Now, here's one of the things they won't know, but you can tell them because you're learning it here today. Their translators were Nathan Knorr, Frederick Franz, George Genghis, and Albert Schroeder, and I think one other guy. But all of these individuals put together, all they had was Frank DeFranz 
had a half of year of Greek study at the University of Cincinnati. That's the credentials that they had to retranslate the whole Bible. So it's an erroneous translation of the Bible. It's sad that they follow it because here's the bottom line. And Paul warned about this. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11.4 that if someone comes teaching or preaching another Jesus. There's other Jesuses out there. Our Jesus is God Almighty. The Son of God. God in human flesh. That's who our Jesus is. So Paul says if they come and they're preaching another Jesus or you've received another spirit, or you've listened to another gospel, and he links it to the verse above it, said that you've been beguiled by the serpent the way that Eve was. So you and I don't follow the Jesus of the Jehovah Witnesses, and we do not follow the Jesus of the Mormons. Because the Jesus of the Jehovah Witness is Michael the Archangel, and the Jesus of the Mormons is the spirit brother of Lucifer, who is the offspring of Elohim and one of his spirit brides, created beings. Our Jesus was not created. Our Jesus is creator. And that's what you need to know. Because you're either following genuine Jesus or you're following imposter Jesus. And I'm here to tell you that the Jesus Christ of the Bible is creator God. And it's very important that we know that. It says here, the same was in the beginning with God and all things were made by him. So all things were made by him. I want you to, you can write these down because you'll need these when they come to the door because you know what? I remember one time I got so convicted, the Miami Dolphins were on and the, <laughs> easy. And the Jehovah Witnesses showed up at the door. God gave me an opportunity. You know what I did? I hid. I hid until they left. Because <laughs> I wanted to watch a stinking game. But I want, I want this to be your mindset, okay? Because, you know, here's the mindset of Christians these days. Oh, the devil sent him to my door. What if Jesus sent him? I heard a testimony when I first got saved of a Jehovah Witness. He goes, you know, 17 years I knocked door to door. And nobody ever once shared with me about Jesus being God and I needed to be born again. What an indictment on the church. What an indictment. Those are opportunities that God wants to give us. So getting back to what I wanted to share with you, that Jesus Christ is creator, here's some, here's some text verses that you can write down if you ever get into a discussion, okay? Look at Christians, I know. We want to fight, right? I mean, they come, our backs get riled up, man. And you know what we want to do? We want to win the fight and we lose the war. We're not out to win a fight. We're out to win a soul. Right? We're out to win a soul. Do we care that there's a real lake of fire that they don't believe in, that they're going to end up in anyhow because it's irrelevant what they believe versus what is true? Then we get prepared. 
And we share when God gives us opportunity. Colossians 1, verse 13 through 16 is another scripture text about Jesus being creator. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9, also. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. Those are all texts that tell us that Jesus Christ created this world. In the beginning, God created. What God are we talking about? Well, we're talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, if you really want to blow them away, now I got a couple for you that will tell you the Holy Spirit created all things. Job chapter 33, verse 4. In Psalm 104, verse 30. It's important, people, that we have a biblical Jesus, that we have the Jesus of the Bible that declares and explains to us exactly who he is. So it says here, all things were made by him, and without him was nothing made that was made. Got to remember, okay? Because you can look around now and think, man, I wish he would have done a better job. He did do a better job. All right? This is not original design. When he created, he looked at everything and said it was good, 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 good six times. Then he said it was very good. And the only thing that wasn't good was that Adam was alone and then he made Eve and then things got real bad. I, it's biblical, I'm just saying. This currently... What we're living under is the non-intention of God. This wasn't his intention. We live in a cursed world because of one decision made by Eve and Adam. In the one decision that they made, it all started with the temptation of this simply, hath God said, The moment that you allow the devil to talk you out of the authority of God's word in your life, you're on a path of destruction. He's seducing you down a path of destruction. That's what he did with her. First attack. Eve? No. Word. The word. God's word. That was the attack. But for us as believers, I so wish I could have saw the pre-cursed world. 2 Peter 3.13 says, We, according to his promise, we look for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells Righteousness. No Democrats and Republicans, King Jesus, 
biblical truth, biblical righteousness, ruling a new heaven and a new earth where we have access to a new Jerusalem. John would write about it and say that I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and first earth were passed away and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, sorrow, crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. And you, if you know Jesus Christ, can call that wonderful place your home forever. Forever. In him was life. And a life was the light of men. It goes from word to life here, giving us illumination, light, life. It's crazy to me that we live in a day, I mean, not that it's crazy, it's just the way the world's going, is that everything I hear about so much with the youth, this generation, Hollywood is this whole zombie thing, right? The living dead, whatever it is. And, uh, you know, but basically in the spiritual realm, that's exactly who we were before the life of Christ entered in. We were the walking dead. Paul said that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. You whom were Dead in your trespasses and sins, he has quickened or brought to life. That's what he did for us. I can't get my mind around it, but but basically these movies are really, to me, they're broadcasting the spiritual life of our country. Walking dead. You know, I, the other day I had this, I told my wife, it was just so weird, man. I had this Google thing pop up and there's like, there's this new horror movie out where people are passing out and they're throwing up in the movie theater. So for me, what did I do? I'm like, I got to read about this. You know, I don't know why. So I started, started to read it and then there was the trailer button. I'm like, no way. I'm not going to watch that. I got enough Freddie and Jason running around up there to add that to it. But we look at this, you know, and, and we're seeing really what, what, what Jesus has done for us that, that he, he brought to us. Like, don't, don't you feel like, I mean, for me, being saved when I was 24, I know a lot of you, maybe you were younger, you came to Christ at a, at a, at a younger age. I, I mean, you know, it was the thrill. It, it, it was, you know, I had some fun times and, and, and my life wasn't falling apart and I wasn't suicidal or anything like that, but it just felt like existence. Just felt like existing. But that's what you have until you have Christ. You can't live until the very purpose, the author of life, steps into you. He's written eternity in our heart. Once he steps into us, he doesn't just grant us eternal life then, but he grants us now in the form of what he said, abundance of life. That's what he gives us. So you go through life now, you know, not with all the question marks, but you've gotten all the answers or most of the answers in the Bible, through the Bible. And you see like there's purpose, there's significance, there's also satisfaction, there's also contentment. 
Because you find yourself now fixed of what you were wired to have, this thing that's alive with a living Savior who left behind an empty tomb so that we could have it with him. So in him was life, and and the life was the light of man. We get here on Sundays, you can sense the life. You can sense life. People have spoken here, and they think our greeting's crazy. We got like a greeting on steroids here. With you guys all fellowshipping with one another and, and hanging out and loving one another. I mean, that one guy spoke at a ton of churches. He goes, I don't see this anywhere. Well, it's the way it's supposed to be when the king of life steps into people. And that light shineth. And that word there, shineth, is in the, the uh, Greek tense of continual. It continues to shine in darkness, and the darkness doesn't understand it. Comprehends it not. So light shows up. That, that's why people with physical blindness can see, but people with 20-20 eyesight, they sit in blindness. Because you cannot see life accurately without seeing life through Jesus Christ. The Word. The entrance of thy Word. It gives light. Thy Word is a lamp under my feet and a light under my path. Whether that's the written word or God, the Son, the word. He, it, is a lamp under my feet and a life under my path. We get an internal navigational system how to do life. From the relational to the vocational to everything in between. I mean, I think about it. I, I've been on so many trips before, and I'm so thankful that I got Google Maps. You know, I got Google Maps in front of me, taking me. I'm like, I cannot imagine paper maps anymore. If I had paper maps, I w- would probably die of a heart attack right in my car. But Google Maps is so awesome. I mean, they, they let you know if there's a cop ahead. They let you know if there's road construction. But, but Google Maps gets you to your destination. And I'm here to tell you the Word of God will get you to your destination. But the light also has an effect on us. It causes us to really value the things that we should value. It it illuminates how we're called to live, the actions of our life, the attitudes of our heart, and our purposes for living. Turn to 2 Corinthians 4 with me real quick. 2 Corinthians 4 is such a rich chapter. So he's the light that shines in the darkness. It says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God, the little g, of this world, who would be Satan, look at, he's blinded, not the eyes, but the mind. He's blind. He's blinded 
the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. What does that mean? That means if you're sitting here today and you're procrastinating with the most important decision of your life to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, you don't see the importance of it, or you're just going to keep putting it off, or you're just flat out saying, you know what, I'm not going to surrender my life and put my trust in Jesus Christ, that means that there's a satanic illusion, delusion over your mind. The devil's got you right where he wants you. And he'll own you forever. Unless you'll respond to this living word that stepped into humanity and put on human flesh and was the light and was the truth and was the life and everything else that is good. The bottom line is for all of us, we are born blind. It's only God that can make us see. I used to have great eyesight, now I got these. I can still see a good distance away, but the bottom line is my mind was blind for 24 years. 24 years of blindness because the light hadn't been turned on. You know, this morning I shut off all the lights in my house and I walked outside down my sidewalk that I usually walk down and I tripped over something. I tripped over something because there was something in my path that I could not see because the light wasn't on. And there's so many times in our life that if we don't allow Jesus Christ to be the light of our life, continually, continually lighten up our life, you know what's going to happen? We're going to trip over things continually. We're going to trip into sin. We're going to trip into a backslide. We're going to trip into all kinds of things that can produce pain and even destruction. You turn back to John. So in him was life, and, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the, lightness, or the darkness comprehended it not. You know, I scored the other day at Walmart, man. I was, I was, they had one of those center aisles, and, and the center aisle thing was packed, and it was like a four-pack of LED light bulbs for 97 cents. I had to ask a lady, are you sure about this? She goes, yeah, definitely sure. So like 20 packs, 80 light bulbs later, man, in my cart, you know. But, but here's the thing. Those light bulbs, they work by design. And the way they work by design is they actually have to be connected to the power source for them to operate the way they were designed to do. And it's the same for you and I. And the way electricity works is you come in here and you flip those switches in the back and all the lights come on because you know what happens? There's a switch and it either makes or it breaks. Connection with the power source to cause illumination. And it's of vital importance for you and I that we're making and not breaking connection with our power source so we can see this life and be effective in this life the way that we've been designed to be by our creator, by our designer, Jesus. So, So today, the light's on in your life if you're in the word and the word of God is the authority of your life and you're asking the Holy Spirit for help to live this out and it's not just so that you can live a fruitful life for your own blessing but so that you can radiate your testimony and radiate the very person of Jesus Christ but the light switch goes off and power is disconnected when we say yes to compromise, yes to hidden sin, yes to unbelief. Boom, and the light switch goes out. 
It starts to dim out and the light switch goes on or it goes out. But you know what? We always have the ability to make a decision and to make a choice because that light doesn't have to stay out. You can begin to get back into your Bibles again. You can begin to allow God speak to you. You can get your radio station back off that secular garbage and start listening to the good old Bible studies that you used to live to, listen to back in the day that helped you with the decisions of your life and with the trials and the warfare of your day. But only you can do that. The will is like a switch. It either connects to the power source or it disconnects from the power source. And you're the only one that has control over it. you got to ask yourself, are you going to allow Christ to continue to light the way? Or are you going to be okay tripping into darkness? Because it's no fun tripping into darkness. A lot of injuries, a lot of pain, a lot of destruction, and unfortunately, even eventual damnation. People who don't respond to Christ aren't just in danger of a temporal darkness, walking through, meandering through this life with no eternal vision, with no eternal purpose. But unfortunately, the Bible speaks of a place of eternal darkness where if that life continues to reject the goodness of God who is trying to bring men to repentance and trying to explain to the heart the value that they hold to him so much so that this precious word who would be made flesh in chapter 1 would go to a cross in chapter 19 because of every blasphemous said thing we've ever done or said, every degree of idol worship we've ever exercised, every lie that we've ever spoken, any lust that we've ever had, any sin we've ever committed, anything that we've done to violate and offend Almighty God and His precious Word. The enemy doesn't want us blind. He wants the light of this truth to shine into our lives that we would respond to it and then respond to it and then eventually, like we'll see next week, we'll be reflectors of it. So, fathers, we, we come before you. We help us, Lord, because we can't even get the limits of our mind wrapped around the greatness of who you are. But I do know, Lord, that if you were small enough to fit into our intellect, you wouldn't be big enough to worship. So thank you, Lord, that you give us scriptures and texts like this that seem so big, but they stretch our mind to, 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 to envision the vastness and the greatness of who you are. And, and yet with all that being said about you, that you love us and that you care about each one of us. Thank you, Lord, that we're not left in the dark. Thank you that we're not left in death. Thank you, Lord, that you've offered to us life through Jesus, light through Jesus. And we pray, Lord, as we go through this gospel, that this gospel would go through us to such a degree 
that it would deepen our understanding of you, that it would grow like John purposed it to, that we read, that it would cause us to believe to deeper places in our life. So thank you, Lord, for each individual that sits in this room for the precious lambs that you've entrusted to us as a ministry. Downstairs, we, we ask Almighty God that you would help us to take in the reality of you and your word to deeper places of our lives, Lord, by your spirit, moving us from glory to glory. And Lord, if there's a, someone that just is seeking today, doesn't understand, maybe life's just tearing them apart, they would find, Lord, that there's hope in you and there's a clean slate available through you. And that that heart would surrender, turn from sin and put all trust in the goodness of who you are as a Lord and Savior who has sacrificed himself for our sins and rose again the third day to be with us at this moment, right now, ministering to each of us the very things that we need to hear. And we thank you, Lord, that as our service comes to a close, that you're going to continue to manifest your light throughout our week as we sit with you and as we take in your word and as we expose ourselves to the truth of your word. We bless you, Lord. We thank you for that you came, that you were willing to step into this planet full of revolt and rebellion, but you came. To show us who you are and to display the greatest act of love humanity would ever experience. I pray that each of us, from the youngest believer to the oldest believer here, would be responders in gratitude and thus worshipers of you who deserve our adoration. In Jesus' name. Amen.